Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2007. This is Jay talking about Step 6. Hi, my name is Jay and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> my own group is Breakfast with Bill and I am sober today. And I'm grateful to be alive and sober and at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm also just really, really grateful for the privilege to be able to be here this morning and to be asked to share this morning. It is, I was told a long time ago when I was a newcomer that it is a privilege to participate in your sobriety, to be involved in your sobriety. Sobriety isn't something that just happens. It isn't something that just is bestowed upon you. It's something that you work for. It's something you get to be involved in. And I didn't understand what people meant when they said it's a, a privilege to participate. And today I do. I do understand that. It's appropriate for me to be talking about defects of character because one of my defects of character is forgetting that it is a privilege to do that. It's forgetting that, uh, the, that this is the way it works. It's forgetting that it takes a lot of hard work. It's sometimes not forgetting, sometimes it's choosing to not do it. And that's the real kick in the ass. You know, because I'm sober. And it's that choice. It's still the choices that I make. Today I do have choices, and that is a, a gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm here today because of men and women who have worked the steps. I love the steps. I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I would not be here today at all if it weren't for strangers who took their time to give to me what they had been given, to spend some time with me and share their experience, strength, and hope with me. And that got me into AA, that got me sober, and it got me into a life. You know, when I was new in AA, everything was just sort of, I was raw. You know, we get here and we're all just sort of raw. And you're in pain. I was in pain. I was in such intense pain. And all I wanted to do was get my life back. That's all I kept saying. I want my life back. Because I didn't know what to do. I knew the drinking was causing me problems, a lot of problems. And I knew that I was in a lot of pain. I didn't make the connection between the two. You know, I wasn't really sure what was going on. I just knew that I needed something to change. And I got to Alcoholics Anonymous because I went in and I went to uh, a church. I used raised Catholic and I used to go to church when things got really tough. I didn't go when things were good, but when things got really tough, I would go. And I would do the same thing every time, which was I need a better job. I need my family to get off my back. I need more money. I need a better wife, I need better friends, I need all these things. And I would always end the prayers with, if you do these things for me, then I will live the way you want me to live. And, you know, surprisingly, more times in my life, things would start to get better. But I could never uphold my end of the deal. I couldn't do it. And working the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous, that's how we uphold our end of the deal. That's how we do it. And my defects of character, the things that keep me from a conscious contact with a higher power, which we hear all the times in AA that we're here to get sober, we're here to have a spiritual experience, right? I mean, that's that's sort of, you come in, you learn about getting sober, and then you realize, you know, you're on, you're on a path to a spiritual experience. And we've got to deal with the things throughout our lives. Step six, I look at it, and it, it is a real contradiction, step six. If you look at just the big book of what's in step six, it's a couple of pages. It's one paragraph on one page, another paragraph on the other page, and if you read it all the way through, suddenly you've finished step seven. And that's it. And you think, wow, okay, great, that was easy, because you spend so much time fretting about steps four and five. You're so nervous, and before you even get into step four, 
You can't imagine how you're going to do step nine. You can never make amends to any of those people. You know, and so you're so worried, and then you sort of get to step six, and you're like, oh, wow, go home, find a quiet place, take the book off the shelf. I remember, actually, I went home. I actually didn't have the book on a shelf, but I did it. I sort of put it up there, took it down, <laughs> opened it up, looked at it, and thought, what am I supposed to do? I don't, I don't really understand what I'm supposed to do, but this is what I'm supposed to do, and I sat. What it says we're supposed to do is we review steps one through five. And that step six is about willingness, right? And it's and it's about willingness not only to start looking at your defects of character, but it's about a willingness to continue. It's about a willingness to say, yep, this is what I've done. You know, my life, I'm powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. Maybe a higher power is going to help me. And, yeah, I believe that. And then you make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of that higher power. And then you start going through your list, your inventory. And then you share it. And you've done a lot. And it tells you right in there. It says after you've done this, that nothing counts but thoroughness, the rigorous honesty, and really taking a good hard look at yourself. And so you've done all this. And I've got to tell you, when I had done all that, I was, I was pretty beat up. I felt pretty, pretty low. You know, I thought, gee, I can't believe I've done all these things. I can't believe this is what my life has been reduced to. I can't believe this is what it is. But you know what? I also had a little bit of hope as well when I got to that point. And then you sit there and you look at it and that's when you're faced with that decision that you're asked before you even make a journey on the steps. Because it says before you get to step one, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. And I kind of believe you have to revisit that. You hit step six. Am I still willing to go to any length to get it? Because I've just dredged up a lot of stuff. And I've now got a whole lot of things. You know, the things that I was afraid of in step eight and nine before, well, now there are new ones. Now there are other things that I've got to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid. You know, you're making a decision. You're continually making that decision. I heard somebody say the other day uh, at a meeting, steps four, five, six, and seven are the engine of the steps. You've got the foundation. You've got the first three steps. You start out. You're really making something of what you're going to rely on, what you're going to keep going back to when things get tough. You're going to keep going back to the admission that you're powerless over alcohol, but that something's going to help you. And you don't know exactly what that is, but you're working on it. You know, and so you keep going back to that foundation. You keep going back to that, and you keep hanging your head on that because there's pain, because there's things that you have to look at in steps four and five. And it isn't all pain, and it isn't all bad, but there is a certain level of that in those steps. But it's all for the good. It's all for the continued growth. And so you hit step six, and now you're faced with a decision. Am I going to go? Do I keep going? Do I keep doing this? You know, I was thinking about step six. It says we're entirely ready, becoming ready. And the way I look at it is this is not like being ready for dessert. You haven't been invited over to somebody's house, and they said, oh, have you had enough to eat? Are you ready for dessert? Somebody's not just going to bring it to you and hand it to you and just set it out in front of you. You have had to do things to get to this point to be ready. This is training for a marathon. You know, you have set a goal that you're going to run this marathon. Way down the track, you're going to do it. But in the meantime, you're going to get out there. It's going to be raining. It's going to be hot. It's going to be early. It's going to be late. Your feet are going to hurt. Your legs are going to hurt. You're not going to want to do it. But you're going to get out there and do it because ultimately that's the end goal. You're training for a marathon. You're not just sitting around waiting for somebody to hand something to you. 
you know, being ready for publishers' clearinghouses. You were always ready for Ed McMahon to knock on your door and hand you a big novelty check. Congratulations, you won. You didn't have to do anything to do it. And you could just win. And that's not the type of readiness we're talking about. We're talking about readiness, being ready to do what needs to be done in Steps 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, because it is an ongoing process. It is an ongoing process. Now, I'm talking about you look at the big book, and it's just a couple of paragraphs on Step 6, and then you look at the 12 and 12, and it's a pretty meaty chapter. And the first line says, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. And you think, Jesus, this is the same step I just read about in the big book. It seemed pretty simple in the big book. And now you've got to start looking at all these things. You've got to start going through it. And it talks about it's not overnight. Because that's the way I always want it to be. I want it to say, yep, here's my defects of character. Get rid of them now. And they go. And that's not the way it works. It is not the way it works. And the thing that I think about when I think about my defects of character is that a lot of my defects of character are fairly subtle. There are some of them that uh, they can be right out there for everybody to see. And there are sometimes when I'm just a raging example of my defects of character, and people can look at them. And if you want to know about my defects of character, you can call my wife. She'll tell you all about them. You can call my mom and dad. They'll tell you all about them. You can call my brothers. They'll tell you all about them. And on some days, you can call my boss, and he'll tell you about a few of my defects of character. You know, they are on display for people to say, yep, those are not good. You know, and some days, they're just the little subtle things that can eat away at you for an awfully long time. Little things that you'll put up with because it hasn't gotten to that point that we get to with alcohol where I felt like if I didn't make a decision, if I didn't do something about my drinking or my life at that time, it was never going to happen for me. I had to do something right then and there. Well, there are a lot of defects of character. There are a lot of those things. Impatience, right? That's one of them, being impatient. You can be impatient for an awfully long time, for a very, very long time, and it can cause all sorts of problems for you. It can cause resentment. It can cause fear. It can highlight all sorts of things in your life just by being impatient. It doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, you know, and I can be awfully impatient, you know, but that can eat away at you for years and years and years and years and years. Because it's not something, being impatient is not necessarily something that's going to kill you, right? Drinking too much alcohol the way I drank, living my life the way I drank, that was something that was going to kill me. It was something that the pain of not changing outweighed the pain of staying the same. You know, I had to do something. Something had to change. I haven't reached that point with my impatience. I haven't gotten to the point where I've said, geez, this impatience is just killing me, and my life is going to end or I'm going to end up in jail because I'm impatient. But, you know, the reality is my impatience, it does hurt me. I get resentful. And what does the big book tell me about resentment? It tells me it's the number one killer of alcoholics. You know, I sort of look at it. I used to have people, and they talk about their defects of character, and they would talk about lists and all these different things, and they'd say, oh, I've got all of them. I've got every single defect of character. And I used to think, geez, that's fairly extreme. You know, and that's sort of a defect of character anyway, I suppose. But I think what, for me, and in my experience with the steps, what we're talking about is what we get to in step 10, and someone will probably bring this up later. But when we review our day, and it talks about in the big book, we review our day and we look for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Those are the big four for me. Because so much stems out of all those. You know, if you were doing one of those 
business charts with arrows and boxes and different things. You'd have fear right in the middle of it. And impatience would come off of that. You know, and anger would come off of that. Resentment would come off of that. You know, and so really what I've, in my life and in my sobriety, what I've tried to do is to ask my higher power to remove the fear. Because I kind of figure all that other stuff stems from it. You know, we're driven by a thousand forms of fear. It talks about that in the program as well. And fear, when I act out of fear, you know, suddenly I start acting in ways that are very defective. You know, it talks about in the 12 and 12 that we all have instincts. We've all been given things. We've given the, the instinct for survival. We've given the, been given the instinct for self-preservation, to have shelter, to eat, you know, to do all these things, to reproduce, all that stuff. There's all instincts. It's all inside of us. We're not talking about removing those instincts. We're talking about minimizing the times when you take them to the extreme. You know, we're talking about that type of instinct. We're talking about the anger and the fear becoming so overwhelming inside you that you go out and you are physically violent, whatever it may be. And so I think that we've got all these things inside of us, and they can be good or they can be bad, but it's when we take them to the extreme and they're bad that they cause pain for yourself. But more importantly in my life, they cause pain for other people. And it's usually, I'm usually the last person to know that it's causing pain. You know, I'm usually the last one to click and say, ah, you know, that hasn't been such a good idea. I haven't been behaving very appropriately. I haven't been doing the right thing. You know, my defects of character have been a little bit out of whack. Because I get out of whack. And it's always over fear. Always over fear. You know, when I was six months sober, my uh, sponsor told me I was a good example of a bad example. You know, he used to say that to me all the time. Because I was six months sober, I went to one meeting a week, you know, I had a sponsor by name only, and I only had a sponsor so I could get people off my back and stop asking me if I had a sponsor. Do you have a sponsor? Yes, I do. He sits on that side of the room. And I call him, and I don't really tell him what's going on with my life. I just call him because he asked me to call him. But I'm not honest with him. And I'm not honest with anybody else, and I'm not honest with myself. You know, the dishonesty, the level of dishonesty. And I went to one meeting a week, and I would go to this meeting, and I would feel good after the meeting. I would feel great. You know, that was the reality. I would feel great. And it was on a Sunday night. Mondays, would, I would feel pretty good. Tuesdays, I'd feel kind of okay. Wednesdays, just sort of numb. Thursdays, I'm antsy. Friday, I'm ready to kill somebody or somebody else or myself. I'm ready to just freak out. Saturdays, I'm barely hanging on to make it to Sunday. It never occurred to me that I felt great after one meeting, why not go to other meetings? You know, why not do something else? That, that is working for you. You know, going to that meeting is working for you. You're getting a little bit of relief. Go do something. Do something similar that's going to make you get that relief as well. I wouldn't do it. It wouldn't occur to me. And I needed people in my life to tell me with the steps what I needed to do and start working the steps. My life started to change when I started working the steps. I was six months sober. I started going to 90 meetings in 90 days. I started looking at the things that were, you know, they were eating my lunch. The dishonesty, the selfishness, the resentment, the fear. You know, and I started to deal with them. When I was six years sober, I moved to Australia. And I never thought that was going to, it was, wasn't even on my radar screen when I got sober. You know, when I got sober and I kept saying I wanted my life back, I don't want that life. It's crazy. It's chaotic. 
it is just nuts. You know, four years later, I've lived in Australia, and I'm embarrassed that some of my defects of character in fear, that have come completely out of fear, you know, people who knew me when I drank, if they looked at my life in some areas, they would say, I know that guy. I recognize him 100%. He's not drinking, but that's him. Whereas early on, when I was doing the deal and doing everything that I know I'm supposed to do, people would say, geez, doesn't seem like the same person. Doesn't seem possible that that person was doing the things that he was doing. You know, there are things in my life, and that's, that's what I'm talking about, those subtle defects of character that you can hang on for an awfully long time. We've got to become entirely ready to get rid of them and get rid of all of them. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say remove some of your defects of character and hold on to them. I often go through things and I start thinking I know a little bit better than what other alcoholics know or what the books know or all those things, and I start to take things back. And so I start to say, well, my higher power will keep me sober, but you know what? I'll handle my job, and I'll handle my family, and my higher power might help me with a couple of other things, but I'm going to take over all these other areas of my life. And suddenly I start putting, you know, I find an outlet for the things that are in me to come out. Sorry about that. And, uh, you know, and that doesn't work for me. What I have to be willing to do is continue the journey that I've started in step one, admitting I'm powerless, my life is unmanageable, continuing to go, building that relationship. When you get to step 12, it talks about practicing these principles in all our affairs. There's a principle attached to every step. You know, you've got to be honest. You've got to get honest. You get a little bit of hope once you're honest. Then you get uh, some faith. And you start building on all these things. But if you're not honest and you don't have any hope, your faith isn't going to do you any good. You know, so you've got to have those. You've got to have courage, the courage that you get in step four, and the integrity from step five sharing those things. And then the big one kicks in, the willingness, and that willingness to continue, to keep going, to get to what I think is the final principle, which is that spiritual awakening. You know, that's where we're going. That's our marathon. That spiritual awakening, that's the marathon. And that's where we're trying to go. It's not going to happen overnight. It hasn't happened overnight for me. You know, I'm grateful that a lot of the things in my life have been removed. A lot of the things in my life, they don't eat my lunch anymore. You know, they're not pushing me down in the schoolyard anymore. You know, they're just there. And I talk to my higher power on a daily basis, and I ask for help with them. Remove the fear. Remove the fear and help me to do the next right thing. You know, I'm grateful to be sober. I would not be here if it weren't for other people sharing the things in their lives. For me, because a lot of the times I'll hold on to the things that are causing me pain, and I think I'm the only one that has to deal with those things. And that's not the case. You know, we have defects of character. We've got a way to deal with them. And that's the message that I try to get from it today. We're not perfect. Progress, not perfection. We've got a ways to go. We've got an opportunity to deal with them. We've got an opportunity to live a better life. Thanks for letting me share and having me be a part of this presentation. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting me share.